Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Fat Fudge. If you've never tried it, this is essentially coffee meets fudge meets energy bomb, and it's delicious. Invented by my friend Mary Shinuda, this on-the-go food is nutrient-dense and delicious. I often travel with a few of these in my suitcase for a quick breakfast or a meal if there aren't good food options whenever I'm traveling. Wellness Mama listeners can get a discount 20% off with the code WellnessMama, all one word, WellnessMama at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash fat fudge. That's P-H-A-T dash F-U-D-G-E. So fat dash fudge. This podcast is brought to you by Homebiotic. We all know about our microbiome. And most of us know about our oral microbiome and even our skin microbiome, but it's easy to forget that we live in a microbial environment as well, and that our home environment influences our health too. The overuse of disinfectants and harsh cleansers has led to an overgrowth of less than optimal bacteria in many homes. Things like mold, pets, and the normal bacteria that comes with a house full of kids running in and outside all day can cause odors and bacterial imbalance in our homes. Those of us with little kids have children sitting on the floor of our homes and interacting with that bacteria on a daily basis. So my solution to this has been Homebiotic. This is a natural probiotic spray for the home that neutralizes odors, germs, and even mold. You can check it out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash home dash biotic. That's home dash B-I-O-T-I-C. Hi, and welcome to Random Cast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com. And I'm Heather from mommypotamus.com. And this is going to be one of our fun random episodes where we are going to touch on a lot of topics. So stay with us. We'd love to hear your feedback on any of these in the comments or the show notes, which are at wellnessmama.fm. And we're probably also, as we usually do, going to mention all kinds of random stuff. And the links for those will be in the show notes as well. Um, But to start, I know we have a huge list, Heather, that we want to cover today. You want to jump on the big topic first, which is that we both are kind of seeing a pattern that the future of health and all the research seems to be pointing toward everything being very personalized and varied and um, what that looks like as moms, because it's one thing to look at PubMed and to see the research on genes and to see the research on gut health, um, but we're the ones who have to actually practically apply that to our children. Um, So let's jump in there. Yeah. I mean, I think, gosh, I started like a pursuing a healthy lifestyle it was like no there's this one diet works for everyone and then like a couple years later they're like we kind of got that wrong take this one thing out of the diet add this other thing in and then you're good and you know through the years we've there have been a lot of different phases of that but ultimately where we ended up was um testing for genetic polymorphisms and uh, seeing like what is unique to us and how that interacts with our environment um but I remember the first time I got a genetic test back and looked at the results, I felt completely overwhelmed. I'm like, look at all this. I mean, it was um, the report that we had. Uh, we ran it through like a um, Libwello, which is, you know, a way that you can, it's a report you can look at. And it's like, it has green, yellow, and red. And I'm like, look at all the red. It's so overwhelming. And um, But there's so much that's happened since then that takes that data, which wasn't really actionable a few years ago and makes it actionable today and helps us understand it and apply it to our lives a lot better. Although there's still a lot that we're learning. And we used to think that, you know, if you had MTHFR, that you had to do X, Y, Z. And it's not looking like that now. It looks like um, there's different approaches to everything. 
Yeah. So I think you're right that the personalization and the testing, like we now have a lot more information, but it's also a lot more to interpret. Um, so it's cool that there are now tests that are able to like give us more of the applicable thing. Cause I think you're right with genes. It's like, you just think like everything's bad, everything's red and what do I even do? Um, but now there's ones like we both love Dr. Rhonda Patrick from found my fitness. We'll link to her podcast in the show notes. Cause she's amazing. We joke that we have a brain crush on her. So if anybody knows her personally, I would love to interview her. So please let her know. Um, but she has a great genetic report on her website at foundmyfitness.com that really like delves into not just the raw data, but what does it actually look like? Like, how would you interpret that in your daily life? And so one example that you and I have talked about recently, um, like I literally wrote the book on coconut oil, not the book, but the post, like for years, and we still do, we rank number one for the term coconut oil. And I did all this research when saturated fats used to be bad. And it was like, well, they're obviously not bad. And that's the teaching of Weston A. Price. And I absolutely agree with it. I think that objectively saturated fats are not bad. I would argue if you're eating them with sugar, they would become what Dr. Hyman calls sugar fat, which is super bad or sweet fat. Um, but objectively they're actually good for your body turns out unless you're me. So with Dr. Rhonda Patrick's test, you can run your 23andMe results through that and it gives you a more interpretive view of certain snippets. And I had one, and I believe you do too, because we obviously share brain and do everything together that said like, really, I should never eat saturated fat because not only will it make it like hard to lose weight, but it can also mess with my brain and do all kinds of other stuff. Did you, you had that as well, the FTO? Yeah. Ours, mine said to just increase the ratio of unsaturated and monosaturated fats, you know, so olive oil and those kinds of things over things like butter. So we're still doing butter, but we definitely have increased, um, you know, our consumption of olive oil and those kinds of fats um, to sort of balance things out. Yeah. And another one that I, um, when I ran the report that I thought was really interesting and kind of went with something that I think is really an interesting part of where, where medicine is heading. And that is, you know, sometimes like old is new again. And, you know, at one point we were looking at these genetic tests and sort of looking at the tests instead of the people and the tests instead of the individuals. And I think, you know, there's a lot of ways the body can accomplish any one goal. So even with, you know, certain things, if you have a polymorphism, you may have a mutation in one direction, but you ha may also have a mutation that's compensating it for in a, in a different direction. So it, we used to assume that just because there's one mutation that that particular cycle or function in the body wasn't working, but that may or may not actually be true. And so there, we're still learning a lot, but one that really resonated with me even more than for me, the saturated fat, um, because I'm still that I, I only ran it recently and I have, you know, increased my olive oil intake, but haven't really noticed a huge difference in how I'm feeling or anything. But one that did resonate for me was it showed that genetically I am predisposed to low vitamin D levels, just, uh, that my body's not making conversions really well in certain areas of that, you know, of that process. And, um, my husband jokes that when I get crabby, he needs to put me in the sun. Um, because it's really true. Like I remember when I was pregnant with uh, my daughter, um, it rained the first four months of the pregnancy. And I cried like every day that it rained because I just wanted to go out in the sun. I felt like intuitively I knew my body was craving sunlight I think it just knew that that's what was needed at that time. And the fact that it kept raining just was frustrating me to, you know, like it was just unbelievably frustrating. Um, so when I looked at that, I was like, yes, that resonates with me. I, that makes sense that and my body's intuitively compensating for this, this thing that just doesn't work that well. Yeah. I think that's a great point, especially with the contrasting 
polymorphisms because I think even the experts like Dr. Ben Lynch and Dr. Rana Patrick, all these people are saying now, like, don't look at any one polymorphism in a vacuum because it's dangerous when you just go, oh, okay, like I have MTHFR, I should take all the methylfolate. Well, maybe not because maybe you have one that compensates. And I think to your point, like listening to the body is an important point as well because when we learned about lizards in school, my kids were like, yeah, it's like you, mom, you want to lay on a warm, sunny rock. And I'm like, yeah, different reason. I'm not cold-blooded, but it's because the vitamin D. And that's so weird because you know how we joke we share a brain? When I was, I remember my dad took me on vacation to Mexico when I was a little kid, and I saw these iguanas on a rock, and I made it like a life goal to <laughs> be an iguana, or at least to live as much like an iguana as possible, because I love warm sun. And yeah, anyway, so I didn't know that about you. <laughs> well, I want to, so we'll talk about a couple of tests, but then I want to go back to the variation key as well. So um, we just did with our kids genetic testing. I had never done all of theirs with 23andMe just because there were some privacy concerns um, with whether or not they share any data. And so like um, we kind of like lied about our names. I don't know if I should say that on record, but we just did whatever. We lied about our names so they're not actually tied to us. Um, but I didn't want to have to try to figure out fake names for all my kids. Um, so we just found out about one from a friend of ours and it's called a Nutrition Genome, which will be linked in the show notes as well. Super easy process. You don't even have to spit into a cup. You just swab the inside of your mouth. So I could do it on the baby even. And um, it's really cool because they delve more into the nutritional side instead of just the raw genetic data. And I know that 23andMe, which is also a good option, has gotten so much better now that they have FDA approval. They can kind of give you a lot more information. But I think when we both did it, it was very much like, here's your random snippets that don't mean anything to you and you have to go figure out how to interpret it. So um, I feel like nutrition genome kind of breaks that down. And then we also have done Viome, which um, was really interesting to see because I've compared genetic testing to Viome side by side. And when I first got Viome back, it was before I learned about the FTO and the saturated fat thing for me. And I'm like, why on earth? I'm like, this can't be right. It's telling me not to eat any beef or butter or coconut oil or like, but all these things are healthy. Why is it telling me not to eat them? And then the genes kind of corroborated that. So like, it makes sense and I get um, but it's interesting to see too, because I feel like just like, um, like for instance, if you're fasting, you can do your blood ketones and you can also do your breath acetone, which gives you the comparison between how many ketones are you making and how many ketones are you burning? I feel like the synergy there is, um, genetic tests tell you like what your genes are and the RNA in the gut from Viome kind of tells you what's actually expressing. So it's really cool to pair those up. That is really cool. And I'm really, one of the things that I'm so, cause we're going to be trying Viome soon. One of the things I'm so curious to find out too, is how things shift over time as your microbiome changes, you know, is it, is it activating certain genetic expressions? You know, so I don't think uh, we have any idea yet what we could know in five years as we start to track things over over a period of time. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. And then one, um, we'll probably have to talk about more in depth in the future. There's not really time today, but the, um, like energetic side, the bioenergetic side of it as well. So I've recently got trained in the, my health device and, um, from NES health. And that's really fascinating because it's truly just a scan of your body that I was completely skeptical of until it came up and showed me every single thing that was in my blood test and genetic test. And I was like, that's kind of amazing and creepy at the same time. So um, I'll link to that as well for anybody interested in reading it. But we were both also saying that it's so cool that now we have all these tools at our disposal. There's also Life Extension, which um, there'll be a link to that in the show notes, where you can get pretty much pick your whatever test you want to get without a doctor. And 10 years ago, that was unheard of. So the fact that like any of us right now can go on the internet and order 
all these tests and kind of figure out our own. Like it took me eight doctors to get a diagnosis for my thyroid. And now it's like I could have just gone on and ordered this huge blood panel for under $200 and figured it out. And then taken that to a doctor and been like, I need thyroid medication. Thanks. Um, We're just in a different place now. So that's really cool to see for moms. I do think too that like I've encountered so many families who are dealing with very rare like conditions or and not even rare. Sometimes they're just there's just a lot going on in a lot of families and moms are so tenacious and they're the ones who who tuck their little ones in at night and they care the most about getting to the bottom of issues and not just maintaining them and not just medicating them. And so putting these tools in mom's hands, I think, is just amazing because there's nobody that's more determined either to find answers for themselves so that they can be, every, you know, so they can be available to their families, so they can love their families in the way they want to and be active and, and healthy, or, you know, they're dealing with someone in the family who needs help. Um, another one, I guess, we haven't talked about recently, but that I came across um, is kind of new, and I don't even know the name of the company Um, But they are starting to bank stem cells from teeth. So that's a really interesting thing that doesn't have a lot of applications right now. But, you know, they're taking just baby teeth as they fall out and preserving them. And I guess maybe it's like you get a a year, some year plan um, where they're keeping those so that later on they may have applications for supporting healing and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I love that you brought that up because that's something we're looking at. And um, like you said, they some of the technology is there, but it's really new and still experimental, but they're pretty confident within like five to 10 years, we can potentially be regrowing all kinds, like organs and tissues and even limbs from stem cells, which is mind blowing. Um, and I know like you and I have done looked, looked at, and we'll talk more about this in the future too, but things like just platelet rich plasma or using adult stem cells from your own blood or fat tissue and how those applications can be done. I know, um, people can do that for joint issues and they're even using it for traumatic brain injuries. We talked to a doctor who does that. So, um, I think while we're seeing so much right now, I I think the next 10 years are going to be mind blowing and what the research shows. I think it's gonna be awesome. Um, and I think the other, the, before we move on, the flip side that I want to mention is variation because in the last couple of years, that's what I really have gotten gentler on my stance on a lot of things. Um, for instance, I, well, I think for, to start, I think we should be looking at the common ground when it comes to health too. Um, because I feel like it's become very polarized and there's kind of all these camps of the keto and the paleo and the vegan and really, if you look at it, all those of us who are interested in health, we have a lot more in common than we do different. Um, and I think if we focus there, we can start making a lot of common ground into really supporting people in a healthier lifestyle. Um, but I'm coming to realize more and more the value of variation. So what I mean by that is, um, like I think a vegan diet can be super healthy for a short amount of time. Like I think there's a time and a place for that, at least for me personally, I don't thrive on a vegan diet, but spending a week on that is sometimes I think is great because it, shifts things and makes your body have to adapt. Um, and that's what the research seems to be showing. And certainly what I have found in my own life is, um, you don't want to let your body adapt to anything. So you want to constantly be mixing it up. Like probably none of us should be eating the exact same foods every single day over and over and over, no matter how healthy those foods are. Um, and that's kind of why I've experimented with fasting and different, like eating in shorter windows or complete block fasting or like skipping food one day a week or eating less protein one day a week to kind of mimic fasting. There's so many ways to do that. Um, but I've just really, I guess in the last few years softened to the idea that there is kind of a time and a place for a lot of these different modalities. And I think there's a time and a place for ketosis for instance, but probably not every single day, unless you have a specific medical reason to do that. Same with 
um, a plant-based diet, which, um, random tangent for a minute, I'd say like all of us should actually be eating a quote unquote plant-based diet. We should add in other products to that, but like really we'd all be healthier if 75, 10, 90% of our diet came from plants, no matter what the rest of it looks like. I mean, heck, even if the rest of it was McDonald's, you'd still be healthier if 75 to 90% of it was plants. Um, so I think I love that personalization and variation are becoming so prominent and, um, I'm really excited to see, um, and very hopeful to see what the next few years of research hold. Yeah. And so when you're saying variation, you're talking to you about even within your own life, not variation within communities where there's like people doing different things, but also, you know, in your own life, like we ideally, if we were eating seasonally, we wouldn't be eating the same thing all year. We would be picking up different micronutrient ranges throughout the year because the soil is doing different things at different times of year. Most of us don't really have the ability to fully eat seasonally. It's just, it's really hard to accomplish. But life is that way too. And life has its own cycles. And I'm starting to uh, recognize that. I know that it's easy to sort of be like, well, I picked something up and I did it for a while and I enjoyed it, but then I stopped enjoying it and now I'm a failure. But really it's, it's acknowledging that some things just have seasons and variation is okay. And, you know, I've cycled through all types of exercise that I enjoy and then I stop enjoying it and then I need to pick something else up. And, and I think I used to just feel like, oh, I just, I must, I should have stuck with that. Like, you know, why be a quitter? <laughs> but it's okay. And, um, who was it? We were, I was listening to a podcast that you recommended. And it was a guy who said he doesn't finish any books that don't interest him, you know, that he doesn't feel obligated to finish every book just because he picked it up. Um, and I was like, wow, I mean, I sort of do. I, I look at all those books that I didn't pick up and I'm like, oh, I, I should read all of those. But, but really, if I picked up the main idea already, or maybe it didn't apply to that point in my life, it's okay to let those things go and, um, and to be okay with that and to embrace variation as just part of life. I think it's also too, like one of the, the mindsets that you and I are both trying really hard to instill in our children, which is like, it's okay to try things and either fail at them or decide or, or try and keep overcoming, but that like experiments are okay. Like they, you don't have to be guaranteed that it's all going to work out or that it's exactly the right path for you. Like you don't need to know that at the first step. It's okay to take a few steps and evaluate from there. Experiment, test. If you have a, if, if it falls apart, but you still really want it, you know, we'll support you and keep going or it's okay to adjust, pivot, all those things. Yeah. I think that's a huge point. I think, um, cause I mean, we know we learn more typically from failure or for, from adapting than we do from succeeding the first time. And, um, I know you and I've talked about that a little bit, but like being naturally type A and then being raised in kind of this school mindset, like it's easy to fall into the whole, like I must succeed at everything and I don't want to try it unless I'm good at it the first time. But really, um, I think when you frame it, like you just said, like as an experiment versus, like something that must happen. I think you have a much more open mindset. Um, and I feel like that actually segues perfectly into something else we were going to talk about, um, which is movement. And I think variation and adaptation is perfect for that because, um, I'm more and more convinced when it comes to movement, I think we should all just mimic our children for one, because they naturally do that. They don't like be like, okay, so every day at 6am, I'm going to go to the gym and play capture the flag. They like get obsessed with capture the flag for three weeks. And then they get obsessed with climbing a tree or whatever. And they're constantly adapting and their body never then just completely adjusts to any kind of movement. And it's constantly growing and changing. And, um, I, w I will say, I think movement is one area that I'm still trying to find my groove on just because, um, like I've tried all so many different methods and the kettlebells and like heavy weights, which I love or, um, cardio, which I don't love, but it's still good for you. All these things. Um, and I feel like right now the research is pointing toward exactly like you said, like 
doing what you love and changing it up a lot. Because if you guys remember, there was, I think it was maybe like six years ago now, the whole sitting is the new smoking. And everybody was like, oh gosh, don't sit, get a standing desk. And then I think last year something came out that was like, uh, it turns out standing all day is equally bad for you. <laughs> so don't sit or stand or do both. Um, but really what the message is, don't do the same thing all day, right. mix it up. And so um, in our house, I think I've posted on Instagram and talked about it, but we have like balance boards and surf trainers and like squishy mats and balls that we stand on, all these things just to mix it up rather than be still. And I think that maybe is what it'll take for me, like to find like what I, what I quote unquote love with movement is never the same thing two days in a row, maybe. Yeah. And that kind of goes to the other thing that we were talking about, which is community. And so you and I currently have a pact that we're going to go try as many like weird things in the area, not weird, but like things we've never tried to sort of explore what it is that we like to do, like what kind of things are enjoy. So we're going to like try hot yoga and um, we're going to do Zumba. And I think there's a pretty wild class, you know, that we were going to try. And, um, you know, a lot of that, some of the enjoyment for me is just coming down to getting together with friends and, you know, getting out and trying something and letting it be sort of an opportunity to, I don't know, just have fun in a different way, like let loose. Um, so, you know, and then we might be done with that and, you know, try something else, but, uh, there's a communal aspect to the movement. I feel like we we have a, sort of set the ideal as like you go to a gym and it's this isolated experience where maybe playing frisbee is actually better for you in some regards than like an hour of cardio because you're spending time with your friends. And that is one thing that is consistent across all blue zones is when you're moving and you're also can participating in a community and it could be with your family, it could be with friends, it could be, I mean, you know, neighbors. Um, but when you're participating in community, that there's something about that that creates health in and of itself, you know, especially in the context of this activity. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, the community thing is probably something that's not enough of a focus for a lot of us and it should be more so. And I know, um, like you just said, across all blue zones, that's what they have is community and like strong friendships and relationships with people close to them. And we've lost that a lot in the modern world. And for both of us, there have been a lot of big changes recently. We've both moved. So we're now in the same geographic area and that's about as much detail as we'll share right now, just because we're also both pretty private and we want our kids to just be, um, to be kids and have, anonymity as much as possible not that we are people that people anyone would try to find but just like we like to kind of not be super clear about where we live but that was a big focus I think for both of us in decisions to move was finding a place where there was that community and where kids could be kids and have the freedom and independence to roam around and to spend time in the woods and to ride bikes um, things that I feel like we had a little bit as a kid and a lot of places that doesn't exist anymore yeah, that's true. And not, and, and it was really, it, it's both, it's community with us, like, you know, in adults, but I think that's important for our kids to see. But I also do think that for our kids specifically, we kind of felt like we wanted to, I don't know, almost bring back the eighties because there was like, there's riding bikes and there was the ability to test limits and, and learn independence and um, things have shifted a lot now. And it's, a little, uh, I know that um, there was a law that was passed in Utah recently that kind of tried to define what parents can do because a lot of parents were feeling hesitant to even let their kids um, test out certain levels of, certain types of independence because they're afraid that they would get reported for being negligent. And 
it's a really tough, like, kind of, it's a, a tough situation for a lot of families right now. And I know that for us, we are seeking a place that our kids can learn skills and, and develop some independence um, in a way, but in a way that we feel comfortable with that and has certain safeguards. Um, but that, that communal aspect of that giving them some, some freedom is, has been really important to me. Yeah. I think, um, when you look at the data too, we know this from blue zones, but having people having those relationships in your same area, that's more important from a health perspective than stopping smoking or exercising or realistically genetic testing, like any of these other things we've talked about at the end of the day, like our relationships really are so important to our health and to the health of those around us. And so I think, um, obviously like we're all in different places and have different abilities to do that or not, but I think no matter where we are, we can make a more conscious effort to build community. We can't just expect it to happen like it did maybe in the 1950s and you just had a built-in neighborhood where you connected or you had family close by. But I think we can all make small choices that like really lend themselves toward more community and more time spent maybe not in like structured activities every single day, but just with people and having time together. And I think that's a really important point. Yeah. And you've done some really cool things in your backyard. My kids wake up. I mean, I would say at least a few days a week and ask if we're going to your house. Like, (laughs) and this is all about your backyard. So let's, can you tell me like you, you, I think you've written about it or maybe you just published a post on what you've done to sort of create an environment that makes it, that that helps kids develop this kind of community with each other. Exactly. So, well, first of all, the answer should always be yes. Whenever your kids ask if you're going to my house, just say yes. <laughs> my oldest son, right? every time. Um, but just that's been a big focus for us is like realizing psychologically kids need things that I don't think I got enough of as a kid because I'm still having to learn them, but just um, the ability to push their boundaries within safe limits and to under, like to be able to fall and not not in a dangerous way, but to be able to fall and learn their limits and learn their balance. And like we train our limbic system by falling down, not by starting off perfectly balanced. Babies are the best examples of that. So we wanted to create a backyard that was more of like a natural playground versus like just a swing set. So we have all kinds of things like the trampoline and like a slack line, a ninja line, which is like a monkey bars, but bouncy and hanging from the trees and higher up and harder. Um, With the idea being, obviously we want our kids to move but we also want them to be able to challenge themselves and um, to learn the boundaries of their balance and their athletic ability and then to push that. And um, I mean, of course, they also do things like ride bikes and play in the neighborhood. And um, that's been the biggest gift of our new place where we are is that there's, I think a lot of parents are on that same page and the kids kind of get the freedom to just roam in this collective pack of, it's like a bike gang. There's like 30 kids on bikes, Um, but there's always a parent close enough by if something happens there's like the collective we call it the mom brain the collective mom brain like somebody's just watching out once in a while um but they don't feel like we're hovering over them or helicoptering so they're also learning really important skills like how to work through when they disagree about the rules of a game without a referee or an adult coming in and saying you do this you do this you have a timeout you know but like they actually have to work through that and say like if we're going to play a game together um how are we going to make sure everybody follows the rules and what happens if somebody doesn't follow the rules and um do the rules adapt if that doesn't work and they're having to figure all that out and I think that's been really amazing to see for them just because I think I had that as a kid but I just um until recently my kids didn't and so it's been really neat to see them kind of have to go through those challenges yeah and it's not like especially in that case because we're kind of in a similar situation and I will say too like I had a swing set when I was growing up and I didn't I can't I'm still blows my mind how much time our kids will spend outside 
in a sort of a unstructured but structured kind of play because you just put it out there. I guess there's more room for creativity. They're interpreting like what it is. I don't even know what it is that they're doing out there, like pirates one day or like whatever. Um, but I'm just amazed at how much time they'll actually spend out there just experimenting and testing things. It's really cool. They're like little physical scientists. Um, the other thing is I, I think there's an assumption that when you allow kids um, time with each other to sort of navigate those kinds of things, that it's going to turn into like Lord of the Flies or um, that the parents are stepping back and not being involved. But I guess in our experience, there's a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes because those kids need feedback. Uh, when they get home, they're like, I don't know how to handle this. Or like, you know, they want to talk about their day, but you're giving them, a, it's, it's like a small, safe environment to test those relationships, to figure out how to navigate them, to develop real things like empathy, um, because they're sort of experiencing the consequences of those reactions if like they don't if they don't handle a situation well um they get to see how that plays out whereas if you protect them from seeing how that plays out they may get older and they're not really aware they're maybe um it's kind of like the skinned knee thing like you learn a lot from the mistakes you make so you know one of the things i guess that we've just noticed in our own family is that it's not like those conversations aren't still happening they're just happening differently because the children are really our kids are owning the problems a little bit more because they're getting to experience them more fully because it's it's their experience that they're bringing to us instead of us kind of like circumventing them getting you know circumventing those relationships um so it's been interesting and we have just a really small neighborhood so ours is not a pack of 30 kids <laughs> but still like it's been interesting and, and helpful to, uh, to them i think this podcast is brought to you by fat budge if you've never tried it, this is essentially coffee meets fudge meets energy bomb, and it's delicious. Invented by my friend Mary Shinuda, this on-the-go food is nutrient-dense and delicious. I often travel with a few of these in my suitcase for a quick breakfast or a meal if there aren't good food options whenever I'm traveling. Wellness Mama listeners can get a discount 20% off with the code WellnessMama, all one word, WellnessMama at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash fat fudge. That's P-H-A-T dash F-U-D-G-E, so fat-fudge. This podcast is brought to you by Homebiotic. We all know about our microbiome, and most of us know about our oral microbiome and even our skin microbiome, but it's easy to forget that we live in a microbial environment as well, and that our home environment influences our health too. The overuse of disinfectants and harsh cleansers has led to an overgrowth of less than optimal bacteria in many homes. Things like mold, and pets, and the normal bacteria that comes with a house full of kids running in and outside all day can cause odors and bacterial imbalance in our homes. Those of us with little kids have children sitting on the floor of our homes and interacting with that bacteria on a daily basis. So my solution to this has been Homebiotic. This is a natural probiotic spray for the home that neutralizes odors, germs, and even mold. You can check it out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash home-biotic. That's home-b-i-o-t-i-c. I think we can learn so much from kids in general, but I think you brought up another important thing, which is um, like that ability to navigate. And, and what I see more and more, and it sounds like you are too, is them coming in and realizing they have the power to like 
impact the situation and that they have to take responsibility for it. When the kid, when the parents aren't there to be the, like the maker of the rules and the keeper of the peace, they then have to evaluate more like, okay, well, how, what did I do that played into that situation and how can I make the situation better? Um, like what responsibility did I have in that versus like just expecting the adults to take care of it. And, um, it reminds me of a book that I loved. I won't say the whole name because we don't have an explicit rating, but the subtle art of not. And if you want to read the rest, you have to go to the show notes. Um, but that was one of the key points in this book, which I loved for adults, which was, um, that you, even if it's not your fault, you should take responsibility for every single thing that happens in your life. And he calls it even like extreme responsibility, um, because then you have the power to change it. Whereas when we become like the victim or expect someone else to solve the problem. And like in this case, children expecting us to solve their problem, they lose their power to fix it. Whereas when they're in more of these free play areas, they get to say like, okay, how can I fix the situation? Do I need to apologize? Like, how can I make this better with the other person um, versus always having that safety net? So I think, um, I think that's a huge point is just that like we're giving them that mental ability to work through things and to hopefully like make the mistakes now at a younger age on smaller things than when they're adults. And it's, you know, friends that have been friends for life that they're going to mess up a friendship or a job or an entrepreneurial opportunity or something. Um, they'll hopefully have the social skills to navigate that instead. And I think also like a part of that with the community, um, obviously our families are our first community. And I know that's an important thing for both of us is kind of nurturing our family culture and making sure that our kids feel very much a part of something that they'd love. And I think um, to that note, like the idea of like family traditions and family culture um, is something that I think as parents, we should be cognizant of and to kind of plan around. And I'd love for you to talk about the tradition side, because I know you've written about that a little bit and you guys have some fun things that you do as a family that just kind of build your family culture. Yeah. So our traditions are actually changing and this kind of goes back to bio-individuality. Some of them are shifting, um, but we do have uh, some traditions that we do throughout the year that create consistency. And then we also experiment a lot. So like right now, my husband and kids are getting up and doing like a slow set of stretching session that kind of gets the day going. And, um, and we listen to this, I don't even know the name. It's like a podcast where they sort of break down one complex idea in five minutes. I can get it from my husband and he just throws it on and like we make breakfast together. But these like little things throughout the year, they create continuity and sort of a sense of who we are and what matters to us. So, you know, we prioritize learning um, and we prioritize being together. And that is something that, like I said, some of them are shifting. So one of our family traditions is to prioritize um, time together in travel. So, you know, there are a lot of things that we forego throughout the year in order to have like a week together where we experience something that's really amazing and um, kind of test ourselves against a different environment. And then, you know, we have weekly traditions of things like, you know, waking up on the weekend morning and having just like a slow day. We like to really have at least one slow day. And uh, so those kind of things. But you have done something that I think is really cool. And I feel like maybe is it's almost like uh, drives the meaning behind what we're doing. And that is you're creating like a family mission or what's, what would you call it that you're doing? Yeah, we kind of named it our family manifesto and I'm going to write about it soon and share ours. But um, we thought about doing like a family mission statement. And I know a lot of people recommend that and it just didn't feel um, actionable enough, if that makes sense. And I felt like um, we just like the word that fit for us was a manifesto. And so we sat down with the kids and we brainstormed and had them throw out. It was really interesting to see the words that they threw out, um, for our, well, like what described our family. 
And the ones that came to mind first for them um, were things like adventurers and explorers and uh, climbers. Like the four-year-old, it was handstanders. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not very good at that one yet. But um, <laughs> it was really cool to see what the things that were important to them. And so we kind of took all those words and then sort of drafted it into um, a paragraph that's more like a manifesto slash creed. Like it's an action-oriented thing versus um, not just like how a mission statement might be like this family is. It's very much like, we are, this is what defines us. And so there's lines like, um, we are adventurers, explorers, and challenge seekers who believe that, or who are willing to take risk and fail and fall down and apologize because that's when you grow and just things like that. And, um, I'm working on trying to figure out how to artistically put that on a wall so that it's kind of in a prominent place to remind us. Um, cause it's become kind of a teaching tool in that sense. Like when siblings fight, we can be like, no, this is great because when we apologize, we grow and we learn from that and just tying it back into that. And my hope is that that sticks with them kind of um, as they eventually move on, which is hard to believe that's going to be in seven years for the first one. Um, but hopefully that's something they'll take with them uh, and that will kind of guide their life and hopefully maybe one day with their own family. So they'll have their own version of it. I just feel like um, it helps us to be more intentional. I think in life, especially as parents, you can just get swept up in the day to day and not really have the time and focus to be intentional in what you're trying to accomplish with your kids. Um, and not that we do it well every day. We certainly don't, but, uh, we just try to keep the, the realization that of all the work that we do and, um, all the business that we build and all this, that really our most important project in life is how we raise our children. Um, so the manifesto just felt like a very tangible way to like bring them into the family culture and to have us kind of like, this is us, like, this is what we do. Um, this is what we believe and this is how that actually like how it looks in our life. I'm ridiculous and curious to, to find out how my kids would answer that question, like asking them to help me come up with words. And um, yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, it reminds me of our, another friend of ours, their family motto is we were made to do hard things. And I mean, I, it's their family motto, but I've never forgotten it because I mean, uh, just whenever they, cause they are a particularly adventurous family and they have used that motto to kind of ease themselves through so many different circumstances and to, to make it, it's almost like it makes being uncomfortable at times just a normal part of life instead of something that you're constantly trying to escape from or work yourself around. Um, but I love that. I love that they have an identity that's so strong and now I'm, I want to go work on the best of. I love that line too. I think we've all adopted that from these friends of ours. And I find myself telling my kids that sometimes like when they're like, they get skinny or even um, recently someone in our extended family bro broke his leg and it was really, I mean, horrible when a child is in that much pain. Um, but that was one thing I said to him was like, I know this is tough right now, but we were made to do hard things. And he actually like stopped for a second and I could tell it like he thought about that because I think another thing, like kind of a theme, but we can learn from children is that we should actually embrace challenge. And I think kids are naturally amazing at that. They don't shy away from it. Um, and I think that really resonates with kids, but I can't wait to see what your family manifesto is too. I'm sure that one day when my kids are waking up and begging me to go to your house, they'll have plenty of opportunities to tell you about whatever <laughs> words they have come up with. Yes. Well, I guess to wrap up, we should, we were going to talk about some like random obscure things that we've tried since the last episode. Um, we definitely, the last episode we did together was, I think hard to beat because we were at the Bulletproof Conference. So we oh, tried sure. all the random things. But even if it's not as long of a list, we've tried some random stuff since last time. So do you want to talk about the first one? What was there an, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So escape room. And I think this is really fun. 
Um, it's like, it's like living inside a, or it's like being inside a giant puzzle, which is really cool. So do you want to explain the concept behind it? Yeah, I guess, they, well, I'm sure there's different ways they can be um, set up, but we did this with a group of friends, including our friends who say we were made to do hard things. And they basically lock you in a room. You have a certain amount of time. I think it's usually an hour and they don't really give you any instructions and they just say like, figure out how, how to get out. And it's awesome because you have no idea what you're starting with. You're like scouring the room for clues and then trying to figure out, but it's great for teamwork and just to like challenge your brain. And it was a blast. I think it was one of the most fun nights we've had in a really long time with a group of friends, just having to like work together for a common goal in a super fun way. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think it it is one of those things where you get to know each other in different ways because people have different skill sets and they shine in things like that. And you might actually feel at times like you maybe don't have a skill set that, that fits, but you will. And it's just this really cool thing where any sort of difficult challenge, people like come together and, you know, rise to it. Uh, we had a lot of fun. And it goes back to community and, and building those relationships as part of overall health. Yeah, I know it's something we both have said, like, we should do that more often. And it'll be fun. Um, another one that I will be doing a whole podcast about soon is um, the idea of like training the brain in different ways. And specifically, um, the lady I interviewed runs a company called Brain Harmony. And it is, it focuses a lot on so children with any kind of developmental struggle, whether it be ADHD or autism or even more severe things, kind of like rewiring the brain for that. But it's been really cool because she has different programs that you can go through that help even just put you in like more sympathetic, parasympathetic balance, um, which that's been great for me to see. And so that's one I'll be delving into more, but something fun that we've tried recently. Now, you said that they have two different types. There's one that's using bone conduction and then one that's not. Yeah. So one, it's just sound and it um, is different sounds played to different ears at different times with the idea of like lighting up different parts of the brain and making them pay attention. And I was shocked how much you can be like tired and like starving from doing hard brain work. Um, they, they say the brain uses more uh, calories per for volume or whatever than any other part of the body. Um, but it really does work your brain really hard, which is fascinating. And then the bone conductivity one is a little bit more advanced, but it... Um, same concept. It's like wiring and targeting different parts of the brain, but also using the bone aspect to be able to hit kind of different points. Does it affect the vagus nerve, the, the bone conduction? It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Um, so I'm interviewing her, but it's really neat to see. Um, she's had amazing success with people, um, children who had autism, who recovered like drastically or, um, children with anger issues or nonverbal children, just amazing. And she's one of the most patient people I've ever met. She calls everybody friends. She's like, there's no patients in her clinic. There's just friends that come to visit. And, um, it's like a gigantic playground, but that teaches your brain things. And so that was also, um, some of the influence for our backyard is just, um, I want it to be a playground that teaches your brain things. And then the last one is um, fascia. Fascia. We don't actually know how to say that because this is the risk of being a blogger. We can read all the words, but then we have to say them out loud and we don't know how to say them. So I never, did I tell you how I wouldn't do a water kefir, 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 whatever it is. Right. Because I I even, I, I interviewed a bunch of different experts and I said, how do you say it? Nobody really agreed. Eventually, I think the biggest one I got was kefir. But I couldn't do the video for like a year because I was just afraid to say the word. Anyway, so back to this fascia, fascia. Yes. I've just been curious about it recently. So I've done some like myofascial work and (laughs) hopefully I'm saying that right. Um, But also just delved into the research on it. And it's really cool because 
so the NES Health, the My Health device that measures the body uh, in different ways, like the energetic output of different organs, they also look at fascia because it's super, like it's basically, we think of it like, like a tough thing, but it's actually like a very aqueous, liquid, um, very mineral rich substance. And so it's highly conductive. And so like electricity and energy can travel through it really quickly. Um, but also it can, so we know from massage and from myofascial release, like it can become bunched in certain points. Or if you've had surgery, like I had a C-section, it can become, you can get adhesions and it can become like messed up there or even like cellulite, it, they think is um, partly because of your fascia being bunched up. And um, so it's just been something I've been researching a lot and kind of trying different kinds of treatments to see um, what they do. And like one I love is the uh, MyoBuddy which is kind of a mixture of like myofascial release and percussive massage and heat. Um, I think you've tried it recently too. Yes. It's really cool. And uh, my kids actually love it too. They, they beg for like a massage before bed. We, we got a device for Christmas and it's been amazing. Like they, they really like it. I actually put it on their chests and kind of trying to get a little bit close to the vagus nerve. And I find that it really calms them before bed. Yeah. It's super relaxing. I think, I mean, I still love regular massage, but it's pretty close as far as relaxation for sure. So that's all our random stuff for this episode. And we've been talking for 45 minutes, which is crazy. Time like goes by so fast. Um, but now that we live in the same place and we've like admitted that openly, we're going to be doing more podcasts together. So if you guys have anything you want us to specifically talk about, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and the show notes and everything we mentioned will be at wellnessmama.fm or um, you can find this podcast on your app as well and you can get to it from there. Um, but as always, thank you for taking the time and for being here and listening. And thanks, Heather, for being here. It's always fun. Thank you for having me. And I will hopefully see you slash hear you next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.